0: Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. We're about to show you surveillance footage from Dallas, November 22nd, 1963. The mainstream media wants you to believe that this was a quote, political assassination. But look at this footage. Do you see any political leaders getting assassinated? I don't. All I see are proud Americans out for a lovely drive on a sunny day in Dallas. Also, this isn't fake. This is really me, Tucker Carlson. If someone <laughs> tells you this is fake, they are lying to you as part of a global conspiracy. <laughs> well, he can't just
1: say it's real if it's not real, right?
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Good Lord. I got the feeling something right. You no, know no scared in case I fall off my chair
1: Not scared
0: And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, uh, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle
1: with you I am From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, and Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets for your listening pleasure on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Virgin Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From Brandblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. Ah, boy. Uh, You know, uh, regarding that uh, Tucker Carlson bit at the top uh, of of all the uh, terrible things that didn't happen on the day that JFK was (laughs) shot. Yep. Hi Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, listen, I I told you uh, some weeks ago. I think back at the beginning of the year, as Republicans took their seats in the House majority for the first time in several years, I had heard a bunch of folks at the a bunch of Democrats sort of worrying about uh, wringing their hands. Uh, oh no, the Republicans are now going to use their majority in the House to investigate Hunter Biden and the so-called weaponization of the federal government against Republicans or whatever nonsense that. They they hoped to show, and, you know, and as I told you at the time, good luck to them with that. I, when they're, you know, when they're talking about investigating stuff and nonsense, only uh, only they are going to end up looking foolish as far as I'm concerned. And if there is any sort of legitimate corruption or law breaking they uncover. Well, great. Glad to have it uncovered. But the phony Fox News manufactured stuff and nonsense put on parade in House hearings and so forth. I have zero worries about that. Uh, really, I, you know, go ahead, impeach the president. See how that works out for you, Republicans. Now, as usual, uh, they will overplay their hands, they will shoot themselves in the foot, whatever metaphor you want to use. And when it's not only. Um, On Fox News, but actually in congressional hearings and so forth, they're much more likely to be called on, called out on their nonsense by the media, whether it's social media, whether it's the corporate media, etc. So to my surprise, even Democrats on some of these committees are now doing a great job of pushing back at the nonsense coming out of these committees. Committee hearings themselves. For example, last week, as the New York Times reported, House Republicans spent months promising to use their majority to uncover an insidious bias against conservatives on the part of the federal government, vowing to produce a roster of brave whistleblowers from deep inside the FBI and other so-called deep state government agencies who would then come forward to provide damning evidence of abuses aimed at the right. But as the time notes, the first three witnesses to testify privately before the new Republican led House committee investigating the, quote, weaponization of the federal government have offered little firsthand knowledge of any wrongdoing or any violation of the law. That, according to Democrats on the panel who have listened to the accounts of these so-called whistleblowers who don't actually appear to be whistleblowers at all. Instead, the uh, these uh, three guys, this trio appears to be a group of aggrieved former FBI officials who have trafficked in right wing conspiracy theories, including about January six and who have actually received financial support from top allies of, wait for it, Donald Trump. A 316 page report compiled by Democrats includes a roster of witnesses whose interviews and statements to the committee are detailed, suggesting that Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, the chair of that panel, has so far relied on people who do not meet the definition of whistleblower and who have engaged in partisan conduct, calling into question their credibility. I'm shocked. In addition to promoting January six conspiracies, uh, these guys are also COVID vaccine conspiracists. They have called for dismantling the FBI entirely and so forth. The House uh, Democrats report notes that the men are tied to far-right operatives and former Trump administration officials who, yes, have an interest in promoting false claims. Can
2: you believe it? I can. These hearings are basically disinformation laundering, and I'm glad to see the Democrats are pushing back with evidence and facts to say no.
1: No kidding. One of the men, for example, uh, was a former FBI agent who had been suspended So, yeah, he had an axe to grind. Another was a uh, former agent who was paid $5,000 by uh, Cash Patel, Trump's uh, one of his top loyalists, quote, He was paid almost immediately after they first connected in November of 2022, and Patel has helped to promote the guy's forthcoming book on social media. He also found him a job as a fellow of an outfit that is funded in part by a group headed up by... Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's former chief of staff. At one point during one of these guys' testimony, the report notes, he compared coronavirus vaccine mandates to a Polish reserve police unit during World War II that, quote, were basically engaging in genocide like the rest of the Nazi regime. Because, of course. So Democrats took these guys apart. In a very well documented and footnoted three hundred page report, uh, before Jim Jordan even knew what hit him, the biggest surprise here may be that Democrats in Congress did this. Good for them, getting out in front of it for a change. Maybe, uh, maybe congressional Democrats have finally figured uh, figured this game out. Am I, I, hope am so. I too optimistic there? You we'll might see. be, but yeah. you know
2: it's early yet. But then
1: uh, I've so I've seen that I've seen the same pattern of unnecessary freaking out from folks on the left regarding the 40,000, 41,000, whatever it is, hours of January 6 security camera footage that was turned over to Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Oh, no. I mean, good Lord, MSNBC has been freaking out about uh, that footage uh, around the clock, pretty much since the news was announced last week. And, you know, when I heard about it, I thought, oh, well, big whoop. Good luck with that, Tucker. Josh Marshall over at Talking Points Memo had a similar take uh, yesterday. He said, I understand that people are outraged by the Tucker Carlson, Kevin McCarthy video stunt. It's natural and understandable to react negatively and angrily to liars and traitors. But this is not at all the best or most effective response. The first response is simply mockery. And I agree, which is why we opened with that uh, rather convincing, if completely and totally fake, Tucker Carlson clip that was put together, I think, uh, by The Daily Show. Right. Is that from them?
2: Yes, it is. Completely fake, but very well done.
1: Yep. Uh, Marshall uh, goes on to say that's the most logical response mockery and also the most effective. Watch these videos. They're moments when the insurrectionists were not breaking down doors or hitting Capitol Police over the head with flagpoles. He says this is like showing a Zapruder film containing just the part where JFK is happily waving to the crowd (laughs) in Dealey Plaza. He's having a great time. Why does Lee Harvey Oswald get such a bad rap? Similarly, it's been shown that probably 99 percent of the time, Osama bin Laden wasn't blowing up anything. (laughs) And yet look at what's gotten all the focus. He says this is more Saturday Night Live skit than outrage. Of course, uh, much of the hope here is that, you know, is to just to simply troll folks on the left and to outrage them. Don't give them the satisfaction. Don't be outraged by their nonsense. As Josh says, mockery is often a more powerful weapon than outrage. He is correct. And so is, by the way, using both facts and their own words against them after poor Tux is uh, working so hard to reinforce this phony narrative that the January 6th attack was, you know, a little more than a bunch of peaceful, quote, sightseers as he actually described them. Never mind that, you know, about a thousand of them at this point have been charged with very serious crimes to date. More than 140 police officers were seriously injured by them that day. U.S. Capitol Police Chief. Tom Manger pushed back on Carlson's commentary this week, saying the host, quote, cherry picked from thousands of hours of security footage to present, quote, offensive and misleading conclusions about the attack. Oh, well, I thought that Republicans, uh, you know, weren't they supposed to be uh, back the blue? Well, the blue does not back them, apparently, after this nonsense. In an internal department memo, Manger wrote a quote. Last night, an opinion program aired commentary that was filled with offensive and misleading conclusions about the January 6 attack. Republican U.S. Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina, he called Tucker's nonsense BS, but he used the full word.
3: I think it's bull. I was here. I was down there and I saw maybe a few tourists, a few people who got caught up in things. But when you see police barricades
4: breached, when you see police officers assaulted, I I just don't think it's helpful.
1: Well, uh, no, it's not. Uh, Republican Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota. He wasn't buying it either. I thought it was an insurrection at that time. I still think it was an insurrection today. Even Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, even McConnell criticized Carlson's characterization of the deadly Capitol riots as, quote, mostly peaceful
4: chaos. My uh, concern is how it was depicted. Clearly, The chief of the Capitol Police, in my view, correctly describes what most of us witnessed firsthand on January 6th. So that's my reaction to it. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. So,
1: you know, there's mockery, there's using Republican words uh, against what Republicans are doing, but perhaps the most damning critique uh, may have come from, believe it or not, Fox News itself, which is currently embroiled in a very serious defamation lawsuit filed by Dominion Voting Systems regarding the uh, evidence showing that Fox knew that it was lying to its audience when it made false claims about the 2020 presidential election having been stolen from Donald Trump. That could end up costing the fake news outlet at least $1.6 billion, with another lawsuit from a different voting machine company lined up behind it for $2.7 billion. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that is what explains this coverage from Fox News about Fox's own misleading coverage from Tucker Carlson. But if Fox is going to take down Fox, who am I to stand in the way? This is from Brett Baer's supposedly straight news program with Fox reporter Chad Pergram. Here's our entire report. We haven't edited this a bit. Breaking tonight, we have new video to show you of the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot. It comes from our colleague Tucker Carlson. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy granted Tucker an exclusive first look at more than
0: 40,000 hours of security camera images from the Capitol building on January 6th that were hidden from the public for more than two years. Speaker McCarthy's decision, though, to produce those tapes in the way he did drew criticism from mostly Democrats over
1: recent days. Today, though, there was serious pushback on Capitol Hill on the characterizations of
0: those thousands of hours of tapes from Capitol Police, Democrats, and some Republicans. Here's senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. The never-before-seen video presented a different narrative compared to the violent storyline curated
4: by the 1-6 committee. The January Six committee has deliberately tried to create the impression that most folks who came here are terrorists, and I, that's just wrong.
0: New pictures showed people strolling around the Capitol sightseeing, Capitol Police even mingling with the intruders. But other Republicans paint a different picture of January 6th.
4: There were a lot of people uh, in the Capitol at
3: the time who, uh, I think, um, were scared for their lives so uh, you can you know however you want to describe it but it was a uh, it was an attack on the Capitol. when you come into the chambers when you start opening the members desks when you stand up in their balcony to to somehow put that in the same category as a you know permitted peaceful protest is
0: uh, is just a lie Capitol police chief tom manger says quote the opinion program never reached out to the department to provide accurate context Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell agrees with Manger that the new video lacks a proper frame of reference.
4: My uh, concern is how it was depicted, which is a different issue. Clearly, the chief of the Capitol Police, in my view, correctly describes what most of us witnessed firsthand. McConnell questioned how the show handled the video on the air. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at capitol thinks rioters outmanned
0: officers 58 to 1 A congressional security source tells Fox the mob controlled the Capitol for nearly two and a half hours. That's why officers appeared to chat casually with rioters. Officers do what they can to de-escalate situations rather than escalate the situation to something worse. It's really a form of self-preservation. Manger said the program cherry-picked from the calmer moments and doesn't show the chaos and violence. The Capitol Police wouldn't comment for this story. Sund lost his job because of the riot. The level of violence I saw on January 6th was something I had not seen before. I just don't think the depiction that it was, you know, a walk in the park uh, is is true and accurate. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy promised to release all video from congressional security cameras. The American public should actually see all what happened instead of a report that's written for a political basis. Democrats argued the tape release exposes security vulnerabilities.
4: Speaker McCarthy has played a treacherous, a treacherous game by catering to the hard right. The feds
0: have arrested 999 defendants connected to the riot. 106 were charged with using a deadly weapon. They assaulted 140 police officers, some so badly they'll never return to work. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was seen walking in the new video by himself. He died the next day from a blood clot. Sicknick's partner, Sandra Garza, said she's appalled, and the video downplayed his death. Brett? Chad program live on Capitol Hill. Chad,
1: thank you. And to be clear, no one here at Fox News condones any of the violence that happened on January 6th. Wow. Wow, Fox News, uh, that that liberal Fox News was pretty rough on Fox News, huh?
2: They can do a good job with the news when they try.
1: Yeah, dare I say almost fair, almost balanced? Imagine that. So yeah, even Fox ain't buying it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I am not particularly troubled that Kevin McCarthy gave Tucker Carlson 40,000 hours of video. It just gives, uh, you know, Tucker more material to make a jackass of himself, frankly. Uh, Now, that said, there are things, plenty of them, to worry about when it comes to the mass brainwashing of Americans, particularly by the disgraced former president, as, yes, echoed for years on Fox News. And, yes, that former president still has command over the Republican Party and, yes, even over Fox News. The Republicans in Congress and at Fox, they cannot wait, it seems, to step on whatever rakes they can find (laughs) sitting around. But with all of that chaos comes a, a desire, I fear, for order. Yes, even from, dare I say it, both sides. And some new research from a few political scientists at Allegheny College in Pennsylvania may now serve as a warning sign for the direction that many voters in this country on the right and even on the left are headed in. That research and those researchers join us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
1: Welcome back the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Alright, friendly uh, Bradcast trigger warning here. I'm about to play some obnoxious comments from Donald Trump last weekend at the far-right CPAC conference. Don't worry, it won't last long, and it's just to sort of help set the stage for where we are going here today with my guests joining me momentarily.
4: In 2016, I declared, I am your voice, Today I add, I am your warrior, I am your justice, and for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution, I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen.
1: Now that's uh, creepy. I understand it, it's very creepy, but that's what's going on out there in right-wing land right now with the guy who is, at least by all best guesses and polling at this hour, certainly the front-runner, for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. The remarks, of course, at CPAC were hauntingly Hitler-like, and I don't say that by way of trying to win a Godwin's Law award here. Godwin's Law, of course, for those not familiar, is defined by the Oxford English Dictionary as a facetious aphorism maintaining that as an online debate increases in length, it becomes inevitable that someone will eventually compare someone or something to Adolf Hitler or the Nazis. I, of course, just jumped right to it. Well, in this case, it's because I am being uh, quite literal in comparing Trump and his retribution comments and others at CPAC over the weekend as distinctly and almost literally Hitler-like. Our friend Will Bunch, columnist of the uh, at the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, cited the words of legendary Welsh journalist Gareth Jones, writing after he had attended an Adolf Hitler rally in Germany on March 2, 1933. And he said, quote, Hitler is the Wagner of oratory, a master in repeating the leitmotiv in many varied forms. And the leitmotiv is, quote, the regime in Germany has betrayed you. Our day of retribution has come. Jones went on to note after that uh, Hitler rally just months after he'd become German chancellor that, quote, His use of the brass instruments of oratory is Wagnerian, and he thunders out his resounding blows against Bolshevism and against democracy. Again, that was from a journalist on March 2 of 1933, a warning, if you will, after witnessing a rally Uh, by Adolf Hitler, who had risen to power largely through the democratic electoral process in Germany at the time. For many years, uh, and I I believe I've discussed this before on this show, but I've pondered the ending to one of my favorite movies of all time, Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator, in which Chaplin, in his first uh, talkie picture, plays both a poor Jewish barber living in the ghetto of the German-like fictional nation of Tomania and Tomania's very Hitler-like leader who, through a series of mix-ups, becomes arrested after he's confused for the Jewish barber and then Chaplin's Jewish barber is pushed up onto the stage to give a speech to the dictator's fanatical followers. And while those followers had throughout the rest of the film been seen going wild for the dictator's hate rhetoric, The simple Jewish barber had another message of peace and love and hope amid the ongoing war. The crowd did not know what to make of it at first, but after he became more and more impassioned and, dare I say it, Hitler-like, but in his message of peace, not hate, the rabid crowd eventually becomes equally rabid in favor of that message of love and peace, which I always took to suggest that people... For good or bad, love to be led by charismatic leaders who may use that charisma for good or for evil or for autocracy versus democracy. When used for good, great orders can move us toward a better world. When used for evil, well, as Chaplin himself suggested years later, if he had known what was really going on in Germany at the time he made the film, he would have had a very difficult time making it at least into a comedy, even a satirical one. And with all of that in mind... America seems to be at a very tenuous moment in our own history where we could easily lurch toward authoritarianism under a charismatic leader who calls for bending the rules to offer retribution or someone who is willing to use the levers of government in the furtherance of transparency and peace and, yes, democracy. And with all of that said, I was interested uh, recently to trip across some new research published last month by The Conversation, a nonprofit news site that works with academics from researchers at the uh, Center for Political Participation at Allegheny College in northwestern Pennsylvania. It might be comforting, they write, to think that American democracy has made it past the January 6, 2021 insurrection, that, according to Allegheny's Tara Williams, Andrew Blozier, and Brian Harward. But our research shows that a wide range of American people of all political stripes seek leaders who are fundamentally anti-democratic, anti-small-d democratic. It's true, they note, that many who participated in the insurrection are facing consequences, including prison time. Many candidates for state office... Uh, who falsely claimed that Donald Trump won the 2020 presidential election, lost their races, and the Congressional Committee investigating the insurrection voted to refer Donald Trump to the Department of Justice for criminal charges. But more than 100 members of Congress who objected to the results of a free and fair election in 2020 won their re-election campaigns in 2022. And at least seven people who attended the Stop the Steal rally in D.C. on January 6th have since been elected to state legislatures and, in fact, two have been elected to Congress. As scholars interested in how committed citizens are to democracy, uh, the researchers write, We wanted to measure whether regular Americans want someone who will abide by democratic traditions and practices or will dispense with them. Using a nationally representative sample of 1,500 respondents, they found that a large proportion of Americans are willing to support leaders who would violate democratic principles. Again, small d, democratic principles. About two decades ago, they note, an important study found that roughly one in four Americans... Supported leaders who are uncompromising and take decisive action. These people said that they would prefer non-elected experts to make decisions instead. Our study, they write, uh, replicates this finding nearly 20 years later, but sheds light on a troubling reason for this preference. Their survey... Ask people about their willingness to support leaders who promise to protect them by any means necessary, even if that meant violating expected standards of behavior in a democracy. A set of principles often called democratic norms based on existing research about the strategies that leaders with anti-democratic tendencies use to build public support and about behaviors that foreshadow the early stages of democratic decline. How early that decline is at this point remains to be seen. But, uh, for example, they asked citizens whether they thought that, quote, the only way our country can solve its current problems is by supporting tough leaders who will crack down on those who undermine American values. And about explicit violations of democratic principles like shutting down news organizations and, quote, bending the rules to get things done. By design, the researchers explain some of their questions allow citizens to use their own interpretation of actions like crackdowns and bending the rules. Likewise, the phrasing of their questions, they explain, was designed to allow respondents to rely on their own ideas about the meaning of things like, quote, American values and quote people like you. Their findings were interesting and at times even provocative. Joining us now to discuss some of those provocative findings are two of the project's lead researchers: Tara Williams, assistant professor of political science at Allegheny College, and Andrew Blozier, uh, the uh, an associate professor of Political Science at the college and director of their Center for Political Participation. Andrew and Tara, thanks to both of you for joining us on today's broadcast. Thank
5: you.
1: Let's begin with, well, some of your specific findings and then we can move on to what we might take away from it. Uh, Beginning somewhat randomly here with uh, Tara, the, uh, the first question you guys cite in your piece about your study at The Conversation, Uh, is, as I note, a provocative one. You ask respondents if they strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree with the statement the only way our country can solve its problems is by supporting tough leaders who will crack down on those who undermine American values. What uh, what did your survey find on that, and why was that sort of your lead question in laying out your findings here? So,
5: um, one of the reasons it was the lead was because it was fairly remarkable. Um, We see near, I guess, majority support across Mm -hmm. the board, looking uh, from strong Democrats all the way to strong Republicans and everyone in between, that there is support, either strong or mild, Mm -hmm. um, to support leaders who will crack down on those who would undermine values. Now, we anticipate that those who are Um, answering this as strong Democrats versus strong Republicans may have quite different visions Mm -hmm. uh, of those folks who undermine American values, Um, but the fact that there is that sort of um, uh, visible support across the board, we thought was really sort of quite concerning. Um, Now, as we sort of move through some of the other questions, Mm -hmm. there's a little more um, variation that we see. Um, The other thing that we can't get away from, and I'm sure we'll touch again, is the fact that, um, as we move towards the political right, um, we see that there is sort of more support for some of these things among, um, Republican relative to Democrats.
1: Yeah, that first question uh, seems to be somewhat of an outlier, but not entirely, because the pattern was uh, similar, where uh, the farther you go uh, to the right, uh, you know, towards these strong Republicans, the stronger the statements get in response to your questions. Andrew, you guys note that you kept the language in these questions purposely vague when asking about things like American values and cracking down. I'm wondering why. What does that Help us to understand explicitly here. And, you know, is it ultimately somewhat misleading in a way uh, that, you know, well, the Jewish barber's crackdown to support his values may look very, very different from the dictator's definition of cracking down on those who undermine values?
3: So the reason that we leave that intentionally vague is so respondents may have their own ideas, Mm -hmm. right, about what American values mean to them. The next critical question is, what would you do in the service of your values? You believe you are right, therefore are you willing to Mm. say some groups in society should be, in a very blanket way, uh, criticized, uh, demeaned? Do you think that we should shut down the free press, something that's clearly anti-democratic? Do you think that it's fair for a leader to bend the rules for some groups in society to the detriment of others? So you might have a variety of different goals that you think are noble in mind, but at the point where you're willing to undermine democracy, you're trading in something pretty significant there. And to go back to an earlier point you made, and I don't think I could sleep with myself tonight if I didn't mention mm-hmm. this, we do not need to invoke Adolf Hitler and uh, and the Nazis yes. who you know, led a genocide, right? right? Six million Jews, right? They're even invoking that comparison. Uh, as bad as some things have gotten in the United States, where we've seen violations of democratic norms, where we've seen an insurrection on January 6th, these are terrible things. Uh, but the Holocaust, mm-hmm. right, is a uniquely, uh, distinctively horrible thing, and it cheapens. Right Our understanding of the Holocaust and the magnitude of that crime against humanity to compare something that is really i mean significantly bad, some of the things that we saw on January sixth mm-hmm. to the things of the Holocaust, right Both of those things can be bad, right both of those things are inexcusable, but the Holocaust is of such a higher magnitude. That I would caution uh, you and anybody listening to this to be really careful with how you invoke that. Well, uh, it, it is a you know it is mm-hmm. really a pretty significant thing to do that. And yep. while I uh, while we should certainly characterize the events of January sixth and some of the attitudes and some of the leadership that led to that event as bad, um, we can do that. I think without invoking these other horrific tragedies.
1: Uh, Fair enough, and let me be clear, uh, that was my comparison, not yours, not from your study. Uh, And in fact, I wasn't even comparing it to January 6th as much as I was talking about the language that was being used by uh, Donald Trump recently at uh, CPAC and other times. And that was my uh, comparison, if you will, or my context and background to this study, because... You know, I, I noted the the early days, if you will, of, of Hitler when we saw very similar language, and there really is a question of what will Americans allow to happen that was, in my mind, sort of uh, underscored by their responses to some of your questions. Again, this was me, not you, but yeah, go ahead.
3: Yes. and and to give us another way of thinking about it, right, Mm -hmm. so as we noted in our conversation piece, right, we have seen where democracies have declined. uh, They generally decline from within, right, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about the Weimar Republic of Germany, whether we're talking about... Uh, Venezuela uh, leading into the Chavez years, Mm -hmm. uh, right? We do see uh, political leaders using rhetoric that scapegoats particular groups of people uh, that begins to suggest that there's maybe a reason for trading in some democratic norms and democratic institutions to take care of these things that are painted as existential Mm threats. And so we have seen that in the United States, too, including with Donald Trump using language that's been racialized, that's been xenophobic, right, Uh, these sorts of things. Uh, We have seen Donald Trump using that language and suggesting that there does need to be aggressive measures taken against uh, populations that he has deemed uh, to be concerning. And so even just sort of focusing it there and coming back to your question about, well, why do we leave American values vague? We wanted respondents uh, coming into this thinking about, well, what do I think is the right way for America to be? Uh, And what would I be willing to do in defense of it? And so so to that end, right, we do see, as uh, Professor Williams mentioned, significant proportions of people across the political spectrum but especially on the political right uh... republicans and strong republicans who are willing to say that you know crackdowns on entire groups shutting down the free press uh... and bending the rules for people like them would be acceptable in service of what they think america should be and that really is the pattern uh, that we want to be really concerned about, right? Because we certainly see it more right now in the political right among uh, self-identified Republicans. Mm-hmm. But the fact that some of those attitudes also exist fairly widely among uh, Democrats should also be a concern. Because when we start to see, when one group starts to see another group as an existential threat, mm-hmm. these are the things that can pull apart the fabric of society and that can really uh, undermine democracy. If you think your political rival is, you know, is an existential enemy. Right. That's what starts leading people down this road of saying, well, they would do it to us, so we better do it to them first. And then you have potentially a really significant problem on your hands. And so that's what our research and other research that's been coming out similar to our own, I think, is pointing to that that's not merely hypothetical. Those Mm -hmm. attitudes are there on both sides of the spectrum, but more widely right now in the political right, those attitudes are there to be tapped into, which really does make this a very challenging situation for American democracy.
1: It right? does, and I want to underscore that. That's why one of the reasons I wanted to lead with uh, that uh, question that you guys did, showing that, yeah, there was a whole bunch of Democrats, uh, I think, uh, majorities in every category by and large. Strong Democrat, Democrat. I think the, uh, uh, the one exception was Leans Democratic. That was the, maybe the only uh, group who didn't have a full majority who was in favor of that uh, question about tough leaders who will crack down on those who undermine uh, American values. But there is, as you say, a very similar pattern throughout uh, when it comes to Republicans. As to the sort of the broad language that you use here. Uh, for example, one of the last uh, statements you quote in your piece at the conversation uh, is uh, asking whether they, uh, you know, agree, disagree strongly and so forth to the statement, to protect the interests of people like you, political leaders must sometimes bend the rules to get things done. Tara Williams, I'm wondering what we should take from that. If If the question was, for example, you know, do I support uh, bending the longstanding tradition in the U.S. Senate to allow senators to block the appointment of federal judges in their home state with, you know, the, the so-called simple blue slip for no legit reason at all is, you know, just if they want to block it, they can. Well, I might have supported that Senate rule when it was uh, before it was then bent By Republicans when they took control of the Senate. But I don't believe in unilaterally disarming. So I think Democrats should now bend that rule as well to end the obstructionism uh, of, uh, you know, judicial appointments and so forth. Is that an inclination in and of itself toward authoritarianism or is it a, uh, you know, sort of a common sense response to obstructionism when it comes to politics?
5: So I, I hear your question and I think there's probably some room in in the question framing. We didn't uh, ask sort of like open-ended follow-ups to get a sense of what people were thinking about. I think that would have been really interesting and mm-hmm. maybe a good area for future research. But I don't think it is necessarily the case that those are the things that we're picking up on, partially because, um, for the example you just gave, only people who are probably extremely politically interested would sort of have that on the top of their head. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe maybe thinking about the filibuster could possibly be something mm-hmm. that maybe is slightly widely um, more widely thought about that people might have been thinking about when considering bending the rules. Mm-hmm. But I think sort of the, the vagueness of the question, right, um, about bending the rules in general, that's not sort of applying it to those specific cases, right, it suggests something about not following laws or norms right in order to accomplish things now i i hear um uh sort of your point but i think there's there's as people move further away Mm -hmm. from what what is standard what the rules do look like um and the other thing to sort of keep in mind right um is that this is about a protective urge, to protect the interests of people like you, right? So this is to, to mm-hmm. um, get something, right, for a, a particular group. Um, that is still a, a, concerning, uh, a concerning view for folks to be holding, even if there might be sort of a, a smaller cadre of mm-hmm. people who are thinking very narrowly about what these um, questions are suggesting. And I don't think it's, Um, irrelevant. That, in particular, when we're thinking about the bend the rules question, um, we see that strong Democrats are the only ones who come close to rivaling Republicans in their support for it. Mm. Um, And that seems to really sort of correspond to other uh, research in political science um, that has looked at when people are willing to make trade-offs between Democratic practices and sort of partisan goals. And so in particular, um, there's other studies that basically give people the option to support particular candidates. And in some cases, they give them information that this candidate might violate various kinds of democratic norms. And Mm -hmm. they looked over a lot of specific ones. So we do have some information besides just our study um, to kind of think about what specific norm violations and their support might look like. And so um, in those cases, what those researchers have found is that it is the strong partisans who are willing to support people who share their partisan stripe, even if it comes with democratic trade-offs. And so we suspect that what we're getting here is something very similar um, because of how that breakdown looks.
1: I want to to be uh, careful where possible to not, you know, both sides this issue Because on most of the questions there really was a fairly stark difference between the Democratic side of the spectrum and the Republican side of the spectrum. But uh, the the response that I actually found most troubling uh, was the one in response to the uh, statement, if political leaders believe that a news organization is attempting to undermine American values, they should take action to shut down that news organization. Now, it it wasn't surprising, really, but it was still troubling to see that 72% of strong Republicans agreed with that statement, with shutting down news organizations. That was troubling to me, but it was also admittedly uh, disturbing that 33% of strong Democrats felt the same way. Uh, Andrew, did uh, either of those numbers surprise you in this study?
3: Well, particularly the number of strong Democrats, right? So we have a narrative in in American uh, political history, right, going back at least to the 1970s, right, of conservatives, Republicans, going back to spear egg news, right, mm-hmm. negating about the bots of negativism, right, right? All that. Uh, saying that the, the mainstream media has a political agenda and it's a political agenda that's antagonistic to conservative values and is antagonistic to the Republican Party and its values. So there's been a narrative on the political right about the news media uh, being uh, biased in that way for a long, long time. And then with the rise of Fox News, particularly the primetime lineup, not straight Fox News, not Chris Wallace and Shep Smith when they were on, but some of the primetime lineup, right, you have seen, right, commentators uh, who have raised concerns not just about bias but about sort of anti-Americanism coming from critics of the political right or critics of Fox News. And so when you see 72% of strong Republicans saying, um, you know, if the media is anti-American, maybe that's a significant problem, there's a narrative that's been out there for a long time that's maybe uh, kind of warmed people up to that thought, that maybe there is a concern about the mainstream media that needs to be addressed through pretty bold measures. Uh, But it was a little bit more surprising to see that, you know, about uh, one in three strong Democrats uh, had similar views. And so going back to this question about, you know, given what America and American values means to you, what are you willing to trade in for it in terms of democracy? That one is a a pretty significant concern, Mm -hmm. that one in three strong Democrats, 30% of people who are more just general Democratic identifiers, would say that it would would be appropriate to shut down the free press if it meant that there was a violation of their vision of American values. So, you know, not to be, uh, it's not a tie, so we don't want to be both sides (laughs) about it, right? But when we do see significant numbers of people on both sides of the spectrum leaning into that, uh, that's where you might start to see, right, uh, some concerns about freedom of speech, right, particularly if that's matched with uh, political leaders of one party or the other saying, we need to curtail the free press. Mm -hmm. So these attitudes, whether they're on the Democratic side or on the Republican side where they are more widespread, those attitudes are troubling in and of themselves. But those attitudes don't necessarily lead to incursions of democracy, unless political leaders are promising to take political action and uh, and a number of representatives from one political party or the other start carrying us in that direction. So knowing that those attitudes are there for politicians to tap into, we should be concerned about that and trying to uh, encourage people think differently about democratic values Uh, where they might be uh, leaning away from them. Uh, But the other concern here is we also need to be mindful of the political leaders who are tapping into those values Mm -hmm. and trying to do what we can to make sure that those kinds of political leaders aren't uh, elected into positions of power where they really can carry us over that cliff. Uh,
1: You note, uh, Tara Williams, that uh, you tried to structure these questions in this study in a way that would sort of mirror previous similar studies in past years. How did your findings in uh, this study match up with previous ones, and are these you know are these issues getting noticeab- noticeably worse here in the U.S.? Are they getting better? Are they about the same as as political scientists have found in uh, in previous years?
5: So, um, to some extent, the answer is we don't know. But let me uh, like expand on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were sort of trying to come uh, back at this. Um, political science research that focused on self-democracy, this idea that people kind of wanted to get stuff done that sort of predicted that we would have a not very participatory um, public uh, and um, and that sort of people were willing to say, like, well, let's just let the people who know how to do it do it and do it in a way that's not too conflictual because it's sort of, like, ugly to watch the sausage be made. Um, and so what we find in terms of the, the similarities there is that, it looks very similar um, currently in terms of those people who want decisions made, you know, um, in uncompromising Mm -hmm. ways that take decisive fast action that don't uh, engage in, in conflict. Um, What we're sort of adding and unfortunately cannot necessarily speak to 20 years ago um, is this idea about um, uh, protective leadership. Um, That said, I think one thing that we can sort of speak to is one of the challenges that has existed since public uh, opinion scholarship really started to look at this, so like since the 1950s, is that people embrace democratic norms in theory, but have a lot of trouble applying them Mm -hmm. in practice. And I think our... Uh, scholarship fits really nicely within that tradition to say that people are sort of still struggling with this, right? Um, and if anything, there's part of me that thinks this might be a uh, reason to wonder if even the sort of abstract embrace of democratic norms is eroding a little. As I'm hearing your discussion even mm-hmm. about the, the free press issue, um, I, I don't know that that would have been as much of a question um, Twenty years ago or more,
1: and uh, just to be clear, Tara, the, the uh, this your article at the Conversation is based on your full study. I'll link to it, of course, at uh, Cambridge University Press. It's titled "Are Stealth Democrats Really Committed to Democracy?" Now, I uh, just to be clear, I, I think uh, you're talking about uh, supporters of small D uh, democracy, not uh, you know members of the Democratic Party. Sure. Uh, but just to be clear your definition of stealth democracy in this context
5: yes so stealth democracy is um, a notion that there are some individuals who would prefer a government they don't really have to see Mm -hmm. they don't like the sort of high conflict politics they think people making compromises is sort of like weak um, or sort of failing to to represent values um, and they think it's like a slog, which, let's be honest, policymaking is. Um, and so for those reasons, people who are sort of stealth Democrats tend to prefer this expedient process that in a lot of ways looks distinct from what we think about as the um, like necessary machinations of democracy. Uh,
1: democracy? No, I know. It actually, it, stealth democracy actually sounds, sounds a lot like autocracy. Unless yeah. I'm, I'm missing something here. Uh,
5: that is not how they were interpreting it. Uh-huh. But I think, like, one of the things that our piece tries to, tries to make clear is that in at least in 2018, um, there's reasons to think that a certain kind of embrace of something that's closer to, um, you know, go it alone um Mm dictator-style leadership uh, is something that's embraced by some of these folks.
3: And and curiously, right, this is uh, where the idea for the paper came from. So I teach a course on Introduction to American Politics, Mm -hmm. and one of our co-authors, her name is Candace Crawford, was a student in the class at the time, and we were reading some of this original scholarship about stealth democracy, which the authors, right, in some very path-breaking research, interpreted as people like the idea of democracy, they just don't want to see it. That's what (laughs) makes it stealth, right? And so if your political leader's will you know think we don't need to talk we can just take action the compromise is just selling out Right, and so you can have these really strong, decisive leaders who just cut through the muck and mire of politics and mm-hmm. do it for you, and you don't even have to to see it or think about it. Um, you know, people their interpretation was people still liked to know they were living in a democracy and that we had these things like elections and fair processes, but then they wanted their politicians to be able to go off and just take care of all the problems for them, and they didn't want to have to think about it. Mm-hmm. They wanted benevolent, common good oriented leaders. They say in the uh, the book Stealth Democracy. Uh, by the people who originated the term, uh, uh, John Hibbing and Elizabeth Morris. And so when we read this piece in my uh, my intro to American politics class, uh, it was like 2016, 2017, and as students were reading it, and Ken Daisy Crawford in particular, uh, she and I began having this conversation after class saying, do we think that that still holds up today? Or when people say they want uncompromising, decisive leaders, um, are they looking for something that uh, is uncompromising and decisive, but in the service of things that might be anti-democratic? Mm-hmm. Is that where... Uh, we're starting to drift. And so we did our study in 2018, so two years after some of these concerns began to creep into our politics through the Donald Trump candidacy for president, but two years before the events of, uh, of January 6th, the insurrection in 2021. And so we were kind of looking at this, saying, well, do we have a problem that scholars 20, 25 years ago wouldn't have been able to anticipate? So to Professor Williams' point, you know, we don't know if Americans had these same kinds of attitudes uh, 20 years ago. But because of recent political developments, there's every reason to be concerned about them today.
1: I've got about 30 seconds here left, uh, for and I want to get a quick answer from both of you guys, Professor Tara Williams uh, and Professor Andrew Bloser Anything? Uh, we'll start with uh, Tara that uh caught you by surprise in this poll any uh, or in this uh st- this study anything that you didn't see going in but you came out with that sort of caught you off guard
5: um i think just the amount of people who are willing to embrace some of these things uh, I think you know you point to a good um, notion that there's there's more to unpack there, but I think the fact that this is high means that we have to be vigilant and we have to think about um, who our elites are and what they might be tapping into uh,
1: Andrew
3: very much the same uh, the, these are very widespread political attitudes uh, should leave us for cause for concern should leave us feeling with you know, a sense of vigilance mm-hmm. about. How do we, through public education, through uh, discourse, through media, things like we're doing today, how can we find ways of strengthening uh, commitments to democracy, about going back and remembering things that we may have forgotten about what it means to be a small D Democrat? Uh, That uh, that certainly on both sides of the aisle, but particularly among Republicans right now, there's a lot of that relearning, I think, that needs to happen Mm. so that we don't find ourselves in a situation that, uh, that becomes increasingly dangerous to democracy. So that's going to take a lot of work from all of us.
1: Yeah, and, and and not to uh, be an advertisement here for Washington Post, but the notion that democracy should take place behind closed doors, you know, the work, the sausage-making uh, in darkness, if you will, uh, again, that, that doesn't sound like democracy. That begins to sound uh, much more like a totalitarianism, aut- autocracy, uh, which... Clearly, we have begun to flirt with in this country, and it's uh, troubling indeed. Lots of inf- uh, I- interesting uh, information and uh, things to think about in your study. I will, of course, link to that at conversation.com and to the uh, uh, full study as well. Uh, uh, professor Tara Williams is assistant professor of political science at Allegheny College in northwestern Pennsylvania. Professor Andrew Blozier is an associate professor of political science at Allegheny and the director of the college's Center for Political Participation. Thank you guys both for joining us today on the broadcast.
3: Thank, Thank you very much for having us.
1: I'll tell you, it was. I, I kind of had to wrap my uh, brain around this, as you do, when I saw the the name of their study. Uh, are stealth Democrats really committed to democracy? They talk about stealth democracy. The idea right. that. You have democracy in secret. That does not sound like democracy to me.
2: Well, you know, government that works in the background so you don't have to think about it. I can understand that that mm-hmm. feeling, but their study is very troubling and concerning about how people are. Many people are willing to trade off democratic values for a little bit of peace. Well, I guess.
1: I'll tell you what, that's how autocracy happens when yeah. you put it all behind closed doors. If you don't want to watch the sausage making, don't look away but to hide it away and entrust it to elected officials and presume, oh, they'll take care of it. And if they need to, you know, shut down news sites.
2: Yeah, those are bad.
1: Well, that's what uh, Ron DeSantis is working on. Uh, Anyway, we are going to work on countering those uh, those thoughts. Anyway, got to get out. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or just wanted to hear it again, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to donate to us via the website or go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Couldn't do it without you. Thanks uh, in advance. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Would love to hear from you about that conversation. And you can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodons, at the TheBradBlog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. To... You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by
0: bradblog.com slash donate.